Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about fertilizer, especially pop-up or in-furrow fertilizer, as we would call it. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything that's going on in your farm, we'd love to visit with you, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. All right, so as far as pop-up fertilizer, here's the only thing I'm going to say to start the show. Salt. Salt can be a killer if you have too much. And just remember, all fertilizer, by very definition, is salt. So, sure, there are some really low salt products, and we talk about those all the time. That's great. If you want to run with a little more, a few more gallons, low salt, absolutely the way to go. We like that. If you're going to run a high salt product, let's say it's 1034-0, you can do that. Just keep your rate down. The biggest problem we have is typically people putting on 5 gallons of 1034-0, 10 gallons. And then when Darren and I go look at fields and we see disaster, here's the common response. Well, I've always done it, and it's always been fine before. Yes, it's always going to be fine until it isn't. So especially this year, with as high priced as fertilizer is, the last thing you want to do is invest a whole bunch of money in fertilizer, and then it hurts your yield, not helps your yield. So be really careful about what you're doing with salt. Anyway, we'll talk more about pop-up fertilizer and in-furrow fertilizer throughout the course of the rest of the show. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, got an email that came in from Dale over in Wisconsin. He said, I don't have any questions for you guys today, but I just wanted to share my wife and I had visited the Czech Republic and got to get out in the countryside around Prague for, for much of our trip. And we noticed many of the farming practices were, were a little different than here. In fact, they were practices that used to be used around here where they did lots of tillage, appeared to be very little organic matter in the soils, uh, one good thing, they were using tram lines to make a lot of applications through their wheat, barley, sugar beet fields, uh, but seemed like a good dose of some of the current U.S. agronomy practices would be helpful for them. Just curious, what have you seen as you've traveled around the world? Yep, that's usually what we see is American agriculture is about as advanced as you're going to get. Now, don't get me wrong. There certainly are places, whether it's Europe or Israel, uh, that we have traveled where it's pretty awesome, and they're doing a fantastic job. But overall, what we're doing here in the United States is really, really good. And I would say the same thing with Canada. Darren and I have both spent a lot of time up in Canada as well. Just, it's it's awesome. It's, yeah, it's yeah there, there are some areas that, that are definitely ahead of what's happening in the U.S. in yes. certain things. And overall, U.S., pretty good. But even traveling across the U.S., it's kind of interesting how you see different wheat growing areas doing things that, that other wheat growing areas, many of the guys haven't even heard of. So it's kind of neat to get the word out with, with new things that are happening out there and improvements. And that's kind of one of the reasons we like doing the show too, because we talk about our mistakes and we talk about things that we're doing to improve and address them. And oftentimes that inspires some others too, to share what they're doing. Yeah. And that's what I was going to go to next is not everyone is using the most modern technology. And we're not saying everybody has to, but we are saying that there certainly are ways to increase yields and profits. And that's what we talk about here every day on the show. All right. What you got next there, Darren? 
All right. Uh, this one comes in from Brad. He said, I'm curious about valor and authority. You guys often talk about use one of those two. Yeah. What are the differences? And then in my situation, I'm no till. Does one have better burn down activity than the other? I'd say they're both fairly equal in terms of burn down activity. Neither one is fantastic, but they're both good. I mean, they'll they'll definitely give you some kick to whatever, uh, give your other herbicide some kick, whatever else you're using. And in terms of the difference, the main thing is really the soil residual. Valor has a half-life, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, so don't quote me on this, but it's somewhere around three weeks. The half-life for authority is something like 280 days. Okay, that's a dramatic difference. Now, right away when you hear that, you might say, oh my goodness, well then I for sure want to go with authority. Well, let's keep in mind, all we really care about here is a couple of, uh, just a few things. Number one, we want great weed control. Both can deliver that. Number two, we want weed control until we get to crop canopy. And in most cases, even though Valor has a shorter half-life, it can still deliver that. And we already know authority can as well. The other thing is carryover. So with certain crop rotations, you can't use authority the year before. Valor, you would be able to. So that's, that's really the only major difference that we see. Now, the other side of it is just what's the cost and which program or whose program are you in. Now, with Authority and the Authority products, in the past they've had their FMC Freedom Pass. Well, this year they cut the Freedom Pass, dropped the price a little bit, and I like it better that way. I'd rather not have to wait for rebate money. On the other hand, with Valor, if let's say you wanted to run Valor SX, the liquid, you can do that. If you tie in with the Bear program, it's 2 bucks an acre. And you will have to wait for that money until later. So just look at the cost too. But yeah, they're both really, really, really good products. And we almost always recommend them in any soybean crop anywhere, pre. Hey, thanks for the questions, Brad. Uh, This comes from Mike. He said, we've got a rotation with vegetables, mainly cucumbers and green peppers coming up next year where we're going to have corn this year. Just wondering what you would recommend for pre and post passes on corn. We run a lot of HPPD chemistry normally, but there's an 18-month rotational restriction on things like Armazon that don't allow that. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say, is if you're using HPPD, that absolutely could be a problem. So you want to think about, well, what products have some residual and certainly will kill the weeds, but won't cause that issue? It's mainly dicamba. You certainly could use buctril or tough if you wanted to. And the most broad-spectrum project is pro- product is status. So status would be my favorite. It's just, it's also the most expensive. It's probably 18 bucks an acre. But yeah, I I love status. That's probably the direction I'd go. And for a pre, I'd probably use a group 15. If you want to use verdict or something, the sharpen in the verdict doesn't have much residual either. So that'd be fine. One other comment too he'd made is the verdict was kind of tough on some of his corn in the really sandy ground where he has CECs as low as five. And just wonder if you think the group 15s alone would be safer. Um, it'd be a little bit safer, but I wouldn't say a tremendous amount safer. Yeah, it's tough in some of that sandy ground. Cut your rate a little bit in the sandy ground. It'll tell you that even on the label. Yep, very rate specific. Thanks for the questions. Really appreciate that. We'll be right back after this. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a -a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. 
Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Here at Farm Shop MFG, we keep hearing from the fans of our germinators. After seeing the results in his neighbor's fields, Deverne in Missouri fully outfitted his planters with the germinator closing wheels. Now he says, the proof is in the pudding. After seeing our harvest results, I'm an enthusiastic supporter of the Farm Shop MFG germinator closing wheel. See more of what our fans are saying and order today for spring delivery at farmshopmfg.com. When you're up in your sprayer, remember to look ahead into the future. Because if you've made the smart decision to plant Enlist E3 soybeans, now's the time to protect them with Enlist herbicides. The superior tank mix flexibility easily allows multiple sites of action and keeps your weed control programs effective beyond just this season. Visit Enlist.com to see how a better weed control system can help fight resistance on your fields today and tomorrow. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us as well, radio at agphd.com. And our topic is pop-up or in-furrow fertilizer. But of course, if you get any agronomic question, we would love to help you out with that too. Start off down at Louisiana State University. We got Russell Parvez on with us right now. Russell, great to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, when we're talking about this in-furrow fertilizer, oftentimes this gets put on for corn, and, and we can frame our discussion up around corn. Uh, we're always concerned we, we want to put fertilizer out and crop nutrients out close to the roots so, so the roots can find them, but we don't want to hurt the crop. So where is that fine line? Is it is it a little different in Louisiana where you get a little more rain than we do in the Midwest? Well, um, Louisiana producers actually put in two different ways. One is two-by-two two banding, so it's a two um, inch on the side of the seed furrow and two inch down of the seed. So that way we find out it really doesn't hurt the seed. Um, the other way people put out just uh, dribbling on the back of the planter. So that's two ways is very common in Louisiana. And in both ways, is very efficient. Yeah, when you think about that, you got a little bit of little bit of soil buffer there between the seed and the fertilizer. It certainly increases the safety, increases how much rate you could use, and those types of things. Do you find a lot of farmers doing quite a bit with the planter with fertilizer, or are they planning on uh, uh, application in season or a broadcast application pre-plant? Okay, um, that's a good question. So. Right now, um, LSU Ag Center actually recommending uh, putting out uh, around 30 to 40 units uh, at planting. Um, so that way people put out, most of the corn producers follow that recommendation. They try to put out 30 to 40 units 
nitrogen actually they use either 3200 or 3002 um, both fertilizers are, can be used so they put dribbling most of the producer put as a dribbling like on the top of the soil since they plant really early early mars so temperature is not that high so they don't lose that mass and also we got lots of rain in louisiana so it incorporate the fertilizer very well sure and uh, yes uh, some other producer has that facility whoever they can do two by two banding and again th- we recommend uh, 10 gallon rate of the 3200 fertilizer and uh, around 30 unit nitrogen they can get and it's uh, seems like a very efficient um, method of way like putting out fertilizer sure sure what what are you seeing this spring are you seeing guys make any changes with high priced nitrogen or the the planter is still staying the same they're going to make adjustments elsewhere uh, I'm not following. Would you please uh, oh. say that one more time? Sure, sure. Uh, nitrogen fertilizer is a lot more expensive in 2022 than it was in 2021. Uh, are, are growers right. are growers talking about cutting rates overall, or or are they going to stay with the normal program? Well, uh, no. Some producers um, actually. So they we we come up with a, uh, some kind of solution that cutting out 20% rate, but it depends on your management system, also soil type. So um, basically, if you do at least two split, like lots of producer in Louisiana, uh, not lots of producer, many producer in Louisiana kind of put one shot of nitrogen, like over 200 unit of nitrogen, like as a side dress. So, uh, well, um, we don't recommend that. So we only recommend produce at least two installment or two split. One could be that uh, 30 to 40 unit at planting, then rest of them would be V6 to V8 stage. So if you do that, then the, it can increase the efficiency and based on your uh, soil type and rainfall you receive or water, if you have a waterlogged condition, something like that. So if you have a perfect soil kind of, you can reduce 20% nitrogen rate and it still can maximize your yield. Uh, so our nitrogen rate recommendation is one unit of nitrogen per bushels of corn harvested for silt loom soil, and also 1.25 unit of nitrogen per bushels of corn harvested for clay soil. So you can plug in that equation based on your soil type and cut down 20%, but again, it's only way you can reduce that rate if you split that nitrogen. Yeah, the application method is really important, and I, I like what you're talking about in terms of split applying nitrogen and trying to put it out there when the crop needs it, not overdoing it up front and worry about risk of loss. When things are expensive like fertilizer, it's good to get all the benefit that we can out of that. When it comes to phosphorus, we hear a lot of talk about phosphorus early in the season, and we certainly see crop response if the crop can't get enough phosphorus in. What kind of challenge do you have in Louisiana? You have a little warmer climate than we do in the north, but it's still fairly cool, especially at nights in the early spring. How do you overcome that phosphorus issue with plants? Well, um, I have a 32 site years research for actually um, soybean, but I had a little bit uh, 
uh, the soils probably can travel for corn. And we have seen if the soil test, like Melac 3 soil test phosphorus value from 0 to 6 in soil depth goes over 20 ppm, uh, that's equivalent to 40 pounds per acre. So we don't see that much response, like crop response to phosphorus fertilization. Gotcha. So, but our critical concentration in Louisiana um, ranges from anywhere 21 to 35. It's really wide, and we still recommend a little bit fertilizer in that critical concentration. But last two years, uh, we have not seen any response if the soil test value goes over 20. That's a MELAC 3 soil test from 0 to 6 inch depth. So this year, since the fertilizer price is really, really high, so we uh, recommend producer not to put out any phosphorus if the soil test value is near 20 or over. So that way they can get at least the most benefit uh, on their investment and not wasting money where they don't uh, see response. Yeah, we certainly want to make every dollar count. There's no doubt about that. Let's well, get interesting right. to see, you know, soybean response and corn response. Now, with the soybeans, is this all on early planted soybeans, or is this in a, a double crop later planted situation? How how are soybeans grown in Louisiana? Well, most of them is a full season soybean. So the planting ranges from um, anywhere from April first to uh, mid May, um, but the optimum planting time. Uh, from April, mid-April to mid-May. So that's I'm talking about, that kind of response we have seen for uh, soybean. Uh, very few producers grow double crop soybean in Louisiana. Yeah, lots to, lots to learn as you travel around the country and how things are done differently. And we're talking today about fertilizer recommendations, especially at planting time. I've been talking with Russell Parvez right now with Louisiana State University. Russell, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. Good luck with all those trials you're putting in this year. Oh, thank you, sir. Uh, thanks for having me. You bet. Yeah, it's always fun to to get more insight from from different parts of the country, and uh, the guys down south, of course, are getting getting a little jump on us up here. We're getting a little bit of rain snow mix again today, which only means planting is going to get delayed just a little bit further. But one of the things that we're thinking about is how are we going to get the fertilizer? How are we going to deliver it this year? Because we have to feed our crop to to get the bushels that we're desiring. And this year there is a lot of reward to feed that crop properly and get as many bushels as we possibly can. And of course, there's a lot of incentive too to use every pound of fertilizer wisely. One thing that Rossell mentioned there is just getting a good soil test. And I think that's really where everyone needs to start. What's in the soil what do we have to start with and it really varies we pulled soil samples on every acre of our farm this last year and we were kind of amazed with some things especially on nitrogen how much nitrogen was left in some areas and there really wasn't much of any in other areas so it's really important especially when nitrogen is a dollar a unit or so to to get every pound put out there wisely Talk more about pop-up and infrared fertilizer on today's Ag PhD radio show. Stay tuned. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. 
Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event this summer. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support and encourage folks entering the ag industry. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. Though this day is geared towards high school and college students as well as young farmers, anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. Our hands-on sessions in the field will include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, the role of natural microbes in farming, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So whether you're a college student or just want some good agronomy information, this is one event you won't want to miss. It's the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day, Saturday, June 25th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio talking about pop-up and in-furrow fertilizer considerations for this spring. Oh boy, fertilizer is a hot topic, no doubt about that. But not afraid to handle it is our friend Tim Dukert with AgroLiquid. Tim, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing good. How are you? Pretty good. All right. Everybody wants to get by with more for less. And for me, I think, well, if we can get the nutrients in an available form, closer to that root system so the roots can find them, that's the best way to do it. And when we look at in-furrow or pop-up fertilizer, it's something that that you and the folks at AgriLiquid have been doing for a long, long time. So talk to us about this, Tim, going into this spring. How important is that pop-up or in-furrow fertilizer application this year? We've done a lot of studies on that. You're correct. And um, it's, it's always important on our corn crop to make sure we've got especially phosphorus in-furrow. Um, and I always like to have a little bit of potassium in there as well because the two just uh, work better together. But um, to have that in-furrow, you know, without 
some pop-up or starter fertilizer uh, right with that seed uh, versus nothing, you know, I've seen pretty large uh, differences in yield uh, oftentimes. And if you can get that plant off and going well, um, that increases the yield and it's usually drier as well as at our, at our harvest time. You know, that is certainly something we've noticed on our farm that we've been drier. Oftentimes we're a point drier at harvest and that adds up to a lot of dollars. Brian talks about that a lot when he's doing the running the pencil on figuring out drying costs and so forth. And that's a, a topic he's always into. He's like, look, Darren, I don't even care about the yield. As, well, I do care about the yield, but he, he's like, even if it didn't yield more, just the being a point drier at fall is worth quite a bit. Do you find growers take that into account? I I believe so, you know, especially, you know, last couple of years, people are really watching, you know, the money that they're spending, if they can spend less on the drying charges, uh, because that is, a, you know, point, or I've seen even two points uh, sometimes uh, drier just by using a in-furrow starter. Um, yeah, certainly there. And also maybe you can start sooner too, um, start harvesting sooner just because you've dried down to whatever that number is that you want to start harvesting at. So that can always be an advantage in uh, some of those wet years. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. If it buys you another day or two in the fall, that's worth quite a bit. Okay, so you, you yeah. mentioned in-furrow, and we get a lot of guys that will ask us the question, all right, in-furrow versus two-by-two. Two, and I know just looking at a lot of the information AgriLiquids put out, you've you've definitely tried both methods, and and you recommend your products in both methods. What are the differences with the in-furrow and two-by-two? Two? Is it just the salt difference, or is there there's something about the proximity to the seed? If if you've got fertilizer that is available to go in furrow, that's going to be the hands down place that you're going to want to put that. Uh, it's it's more immediately available to that uh, seedling, and that's just going to get it off to the jump start that we were just talking about. Um, that can also um, make a little bit of difference in your dry down in the in the fall versus a two by two, which is a little bit further away. Two by two is a great placement if you've got the salty fertilizers that uh, need that distance between the, the seed and the fertilizer. Um, but I would recommend less salty fertilizers when they're safe to put in furrow and get that seed going, um, plant going a lot quicker. All right. Now, when it comes to the two by two, and you mentioned that you like to see more than just nitrogen, you like to have other nutrients there too. Uh, two part question here. Do you like two by two on both sides of the row? Does that make more yield if you're feeding the plants on each side? And then the other side, or the other question would be, do you have more benefit with a complete fertilizer, like an NPK blend, perhaps even with a micronutrient blend with it? Do you have more benefit that way or just targeting one or two specific nutrients? So the very best system that I've seen in the last couple of years comparing all these different uh, types of placement would be uh, an in-furrow starter, um, possibly using the precision planting furrow jet where I can put three bands of fertilizer underneath that uh, corn root system. That just uh, makes more nutrients available or makes the nutrients available to more roots uh, to that plant and it allows greater uptake in my opinion. Then if we can put a band on each side of that uh, seed with that nitrogen is first important there. But I also say that's a great place to put a little extra phosphorus, uh, certainly extra potassium, 
And then I go into the micronutrients. Um, boron and sulfur, uh, two very good uh, products to put in that band on either side of that uh, seed trench and make with, you know, in a two by two situation. Um, but I, it's usually more like three inches to the side and an inch or so deep with most of the applicators uh, that are available to put that on. I want to talk research for just a minute, Tim, and, and you and your company do a lot of this. It's not just about corn. There's a lot of different crops that are being raised. And I think about sugar beets. What are you doing with sugar beets to, to try to get things off to a fast start? Well, for a, quite a while, we used to not talk about any uh, inferral starter fertilizer. Um, a lot of our products are fairly safe. I still caution recommending putting any fertilizer in furrow, but there's certain areas of the country that can get away doing that. Sugar beet seeds are very sensitive. Um, so we can get away putting a little bit in, um, in certain cell types, the higher CECs and, you know, the blacker dirt, we can get away putting a little bit of fertilizer in furrow. Just make sure that it's something that's being done in your area before you go and jump on doing that. The sandier soils, you're going to have uh, uh, germination issues with putting anything in for us. So be very, very cautious of that. If we can jumpstart them there um, with a little bit of starter in furrow is a very good thing. Or else another one is those furrow jets that I just mentioned from precision planting and putting the fertilizer in the wings. So we do have a little bit of a gap there between the fertilizer and the seed. Coming back with... Uh, a product on either side of the row is um, ideal, again, in sugar beets. Uh, some nitrogen, in that case, uh, look at potassium. Boron is very important in sugar beets, and getting some in the, that location is also very helpful. One one last question for you, Tim, and I wish uh, I just love putting Stephanie Zelenko on the spot when I ask about soybeans. I, I'm not going to ask you about in furrow, but uh, with the planter on soybeans and say that it's in a two by two, what are you finding good success with with soybeans at planting time? So because we're planting soybeans earlier, it seems like every year uh, it's I think of it almost like the uh, corn. We need phosphorus early in our cool temperature soils when we're planting. If we're planting soybeans early, they need phosphorus also to get them going. It's very important for the um, plant root system to develop with phosphorus. Uh, phosphorus helps those roots to proliferate, but then potassium helps those roots to continue exploration for more nutrients. So if you can get some phosphorus and potassium at planting in our cooler conditions, very close to that seed, it helps that root system develop, develop tremendously. Again, I'll go back to something on either side of that row placement for even soybeans. Uh, a great place to what we found, put some extra fo uh, sorry, sulfur, and uh, those roots will grow out towards those sulfur bands and utilize that sulfur and do tremendously well with that. Yeah, sulfur is a big thing too, and I, I know we, we don't want to get carried away getting it in the furrow and, and putting on high doses or anything like that, but uh, getting Correct. a little bit of furrow close to where those roots can get it, uh, it's certainly been a, a positive thing, and I know it's something a lot of growers have, have shown a lot of interest in. We're talking with Tim Dukert here with AgriLiquid. Tim, we could talk all day. You've been so generous with your time. We really appreciate it. Uh, good luck here heading into the spring. I know it's uh, really going to start picking up pretty quick here. 
Well, let's stop raining, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting all these trials put out again this year. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Thanks, Tim. We really appreciate it. Yeah, all the research that goes in. I know we always think about our farm that, oh, man, we want to get these fields planted. But the research guys, they got to have conditions pretty good out there uh, to get good trials in. And, and Tim is certainly one of those guys that puts in as many trials as about anybody out there. So really appreciate all that work. It's fun to see that that research and, and have them learn on a really small scale first before we try things on a little bigger scale out on our farms. Talking about pop-up and in-furrow fertilizer on today's Ag PhD radio show and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. More and more farmers are discovering the power of improved emergence with the Germinator Closing System from Farm Shop MFG. Greg from Iowa says, For the 48 years I've farmed, I've usually been disappointed with the job my closing systems have done. This year, I was very impressed with Germinator's performance in a variety of soil conditions. For more Germinator success stories and to order a set for your planter this spring, visit farmshopmfg.com. Weather or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions.
listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Our topic is pop-up or in-furrow fertilizer, but we will take any of your agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or radio at agphd.com. Let's head out to North Carolina. Got Chad on the line with us right now. Chad, how's it going? Good, how you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, what's your question today? What's a, uh, a five to eight CEC? And I was wondering how much potash I could put on at one time to build my levels up. They're at a two to three right now. Two to three uh, percent two base three saturation. Percent. Yeah, right, right. Okay. Okay. Uh, I actually put on two hundred and fifty pounds on top of my wheat, and the the people told me that would be enough for my soybeans. Oh, what was your wheat yield that you got, or what are you expecting to get? You're gonna you're gonna I'm, harvest I'm the wheat yet? Eighty bushel. Eighty? No, not yet. I'm hoping around eighty bushel. Okay, and then the soybean yield goal is how much? Sixty. Sixty. Okay, that would be a good year at these prices if we can get both those numbers. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Okay, so what what we do? We developed a free app called the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. It's a free download for your smartphone or your tablet. I'm just pulling that up right now. So give me just one second here. So on wheat, for winter wheat, we've got, let's see, standard measure, 80 bushels. So wheat is going to take, now crop removal is 23 pounds of K2O potassium. Crop uptake is 120 pounds, so it's going to pull quite a bit up. The soybeans I'm a little more concerned about here, and soybeans... We've got a 60 bushel yield goal, so that means you're going to remove 72 pounds of potassium. So that is a total of 95 pounds of K2O potassium that you're going to remove. If you put on 250 pounds of potash, that's going to be 125 pounds of K2O potassium you applied. So you applied 125, you're removing 95 if you get both of those yield goals. So yeah, you should be you should be in good shape with that. Okay, and in a 5CEC, it will not leach. Well, that that's the real question is how much rain are you going to get and how well is that going to hold up? I don't have an answer for you on that as to what a rule of thumb is for how many inches of rain it'll take before it moves through. There's just so much variance out there. But I would say this, it's something that you could do some testing for. And you could do some soil tests. You could do some plant tissue tests. There's, I, I know farmers that farm in very light soils who, who like to watch these things with the potash that you're applying. Are you just laying it on top of the ground or are you tilling it in? It's broadcast. It's broadcast. Yep. And then is it tilled in at all? No, no. Okay. So so that would be a great test for you to see when you you actually start seeing those potassium levels go up in your plant. How many inches of rain did it take? Uh, and that will kind of give you an indication of how long it took for that potassium to move down in two or three inches to get down into the root system. Uh, the other thing you could do is you could pull soil tests at deeper depths and see, okay, am I influencing that K six inches down? How long does it take till that happens? I mean, it would be a few few tests and a little bit of money, you can run a complete Malik analysis for like $11 on the soil and typically complete 
uh, plant tissue tests are somewhere around $20. So if you had a few hundred bucks that you wanted to play with and do a little testing, you could figure it out for your own soils and, and have a good rule of thumb going forward as to how many inches of rain it takes to move that forward. But yeah, I don't have any good idea on that. I guess, you know, you've got a little bit extra to go on. You got 125 pounds of K2O potassium, uh, and you only need 95 for those yield goals. So you got 30 pound cushion there. I think you're going to be fine unless, you know, unless things get really crazy. We don't see potash move at all out here, but we only get 20 inches of precip a year and that includes snow. So it, it just, right. it just doesn't move through our soils. Plus our soils are heavier. So yeah, for right, you, we've been getting 40 to 50 inches here. So wow, wow, yeah. and you know you don't get that frost in the ground four four feet deep like we can get up here either. So you kind of have active soil for most of the year. Right, right. So what are okay. what are things looking like? Is that wheat crop looking decent this spring? Yeah, if the frost didn't hurt us, we got it got down to 19 degrees about two three weeks ago, and as long as the heads didn't come out of the ground, everything looks pretty good so far. Excellent. Excellent. Now, when do you normally harvest? What's your normal harvest date? And then I would assume you plant the soybeans almost immediately after. Yes, we do. Uh, around the end of uh, June, middle to end of June, okay. 1st of July. And then we try to add a beans in by the 4th of July. Gotcha. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, that's that's pretty cool, Chad. I, I think you're on the right track with the potash. And yeah, I guess other than if you did some soil testing and plant tissue testing, I don't have a good rule of thumb for you as to to how long it's going to take right. to leach out. But it sounds like you're able right. to build I some. Didn't, I just didn't want to. Yeah, I just didn't want. I wanted to build it. I just didn't want to put too much on and it start leaching out and go the other way. You know what I mean? Sure. Spend my money and then end up going through the, through the soil. Yep. Yep. All right. right. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Chad. Really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Talking about pop-up and in-furrow fertilizer, and I know for our farm for this year, when you look at where are we going to control costs, uh, I've talked to a number of, of people in the area that have said, ah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that pop-up because, man, did you see how much some of that pop-up fertilizer is costing? I, I think you have to look at exactly where you're getting your return on investment. I like some of the things that Tim Dukert was saying just about doing research over years and seeing, okay, what where am I getting my bump and uh, what Russell Pargel was saying from Louisiana State about um, what numbers on my soil test at these numbers, am I still getting a response or am I not? And and he had some good cutoffs in Louisiana for their soils as to, hey, we're not getting it. If we've got 40 pounds of phosphorus out there already, we're going to get enough availability in there that we didn't see a big boost from adding phosphorus in furrow. But in, in other areas, it's going to be different, especially as you get into some colder and heavier soils. We aren't going to have as much fertility availability as uh, like Chad in North Carolina that was just on with really light soil soils and lots of rainfall. So you have to think through that. It's going to vary a little bit depending on where you're at. Let's dive back into the Ag PhD mailbag here. Got a question on copper. This one comes in from Leslie. How much copper would you add for a backyard garden? Is there a soil test for these minerals? And what will natural fertilizers like manure be balanced in minerals? Oh boy, great questions, Leslie. When you think about manure, let me start with the manure. The most important thing you could do with manure is take a good analysis. We'd like to see a complete analysis that would include all the essential nutrients that, that your crops are going to need. And when you look at those micronutrients like copper, like you were asking about here, uh, will that be balanced in the manure? Maybe, but it might not be. 
It really depends on the diet of that animal, what what they're eating, what's getting added into their feed, those types of things. So we have seen cases where there's been plentiful copper, and we've also seen cases where it's been very deficient. So do run an analysis on any any type of fertilizer that you put out, whether it's a commercial fertilizer or a natural fertilizer or whatnot, just to make sure what you have. Now, for us, what I would look at is pulling a soil test in your garden. And if your garden is big, you may pull several tests. But if you think, hey, my garden's pretty small and it's all about the same, the soil's very similar throughout, my crop production is very similar throughout, then then pull a soil test there. It only costs about 10 to $15 for a complete malic analysis, and you'll get all those macro and micronutrients that you need. Now, when you're looking at the soil test, what we often use as a guideline is we'd like to see a few parts per million of copper, but if we've got really high phosphorus out there, then we need to see our copper maybe at a 30 to 1 ratio. So we want to get uh, copper a little bit higher than we would if the phosphorus was really low. So if you're curious about that, when you run a soil test, uh, you can sure send us the results. You can email us those, radio at agphd.com. We'd be happy to take a look at that for you and give you another opinion. Uh, but the Soils Labs will also give you an opinion as to if you need to apply certain nutrients out there. Now, copper may be one. It may not be. I would certainly look at nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and sulfur first. And I'd also be looking at the calcium and magnesium levels in your soil after that point. Then I'd start looking at those micronutrients too to see if it if it's going to make a big difference in terms of yield. Now, the other thing I would say is some of these nutrients can make a big difference in terms of flavor and shelf life for some of the fruits and vegetables you may be raising. So do a complete analysis and fertilize accordingly. Thanks, Leslie. Really appreciate the questions. We'll be right back with more of your questions after this. Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Introducing Wide R Match from Corteva Agriscient. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for Aralax Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds in wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Do you have a history of white mold or SDS in your bean fields? While you can never predict when disease will occur, using the right seed treatments can reduce your risk of yield loss when it does. Did you know adding heads up to your seed treatment package brings a proven mode of action that primes your beans so they're ready to fight off disease all season long? Ask your seed dealer to apply heads up for protection against both white mold and sudden death syndrome this season. Learn more at headsupst.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. 
Farmers across the country are raving about Germinator closing wheels. Paul from New York says, I'll definitely be using the Germinator wheels again and will be telling everyone I know. For more Germinator success stories, visit farmshopmfg.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We've been talking about pop-up or in-furrow fertilizer on our show today, and I get a few more comments I'll make towards the end of the show here, but I want to get a couple more Ag PhD mailbag questions in. Uh, first one comes from Jolene. She said, I, I want to ask you guys about buckbrush. Uh, could you please help me out here? I've inherited some CRP ground recently, and the prior owner let buckbrush get out of control. We've done research and asked NRCS and uh, our local dealers questions on how to tackle it, and I'm still confused. One family member who ignored this issue for 25 years has, of course, got different ideas than I do. I'd like to shred it and then follow up with 2,4-D. My brother just wants to use Grazon and Tordon. I just want it gone. I don't really care how we do it. Just wondering what what we can do to get this under control. Hey, thank you. Really appreciate that, Jolene. And a couple things here. First of all, if you've got a problem out in a pasture or in CRP and you don't do anything about it, it's not going to get better on its own. And that that makes it even more of a challenge when it gets thick. And especially when you get weeds that get well established and have really tough root systems, it just makes it that much harder to get it under control. Uh, so my follow-up questions, Jolene, would, would involve this CRP ground. Is it going to stay CRP long-term? Is it something that's going to be coming out of CRP anytime soon? The reason that I ask that is if you did follow uh, the advice of using Grazon or using Tordon, you've got products there that are going to last a long, long time in the soil. And that's going to impact future crops if you're going to raise something else out there. Also, if you're using Grazon or Tordon, uh, that Tordon active ingredient is really hard on trees, which is why it's really good on brush as well. So if you don't have any desirable trees around, that would be an okay product to use. Uh, there's a lot of growers that will use 2,4-D on buck brush when it's not terrible, and they'll do okay. Um you don't have to shred it, but I guess I haven't seen a picture of this CRP area to know what it looks like out there or if you're trying to, to graze or, or get any kind of um, 
hunting or, or whatnot out there that it's just making it tough to walk through. If that's the case, then I can certainly understand what you're talking about, about uh, let's let's chop it up a little bit and at least make it so we can get through there. But if you've got some of that foliage that you can land and stick herbicide to, you get a good shot of getting it under control. Uh, I like products that contain triclopyr. Uh, things like Pasture Guard or Remedy Ultra would be uh, products that you could use. There's a lot of growers that would like to put some sort of an oil or a sticker with whatever they're going to spray on Buckbrush to try to stick it to the plant and have a better shot. Um, so th that would be some things that you could do. Uh, if you are not going to rotate out of pasture, again, you could use products that contain Tordon. Um, or, or you could use a Grazon products or Chaparral. There's lots of good choices uh, for buckbrush control. But just use the strongest rate that you can. Uh, follow the label, use the strongest rate you can, and, and you'll do a pretty decent job on it. You're going to have to come back and clean some up. It's not going to be perfect on the first application. But I would recommend as soon as it warms up here in the spring and you notice everything is growing again, um, spray those actively growing weeds, knock them out now, and then your next shot is probably in the fall. Um, as far as spraying in the middle of the summer, sometimes that works, but sometimes it's kind of tough to get things into the weeds. I, I usually target September, uh, maybe even early October if the weather's nice. I'm not exactly sure where you're at. I'm guessing Nebraska, but I'm not certain. Uh, but if you've got good warm weather in the fall yet and you haven't had your first hard-killing frost, that's a great time to hit that buckbrush again, and hopefully you've got it knocked out about 99% before next year. Thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that, and good luck on that CRP ground. And personally, glad to see it's under new management if you're going to get those weeds under control. All right, get this one from Marion, who's down in Nebraska, and Marion said... Have you guys done any work with mycorrhizal fungus on corn? I know Valent has a product called Endoprime that you can use in furrow to improve root growth and nutrient uptake. Hey, thanks, Marion. Really appreciate that. You know, we do talk about mycorrhizal fungi from time to time on the show, and, and oftentimes we're talking about natural products, which would be fungus and bacteria and other things that are naturally found in the environment. We're just putting them in a specific place at a different concentration to try to help our plants grow. Mycorrhizal fungi is something that, that can live out in soil, and it might be out in your soil right now, but it's also something when you get a lot of stress, when you get drought, when you have uh, flooding, those types of things. This is something that that can die off or, or be killed off. So it, it's kind of good when we're trying to reclaim some ground to get it back out there. The last couple of years, we've been really dry in South Dakota, and I know there have been parts of Nebraska that have been quite dry as well. And growers who have been using mycorrhizal fungi have seen some pretty nice gains. And you're right, Valence got a product called Endoprime. That's been probably the primary one out on the market right now that people are using. Uh, and, and getting response from. So that's something I would look at. A couple of things here. We've seen issues with survivability of the product if you are mixing it with the wrong things. For example, chlorine. 
If you've got a municipal water source that you're going to be mixing it with, or you've got rural water, there's chlorine in there. What's the goal? To kill microbes. So you want to make sure that you neutralize that. We've been using a product called BioPrep that will turn the chlorine into chloride, which is actually a useful plant nutrient. So there's no waste product or anything like that, and it only costs pennies per acre. It's not expensive at all. That would be something to look at. The other thing would be the pH of the water. Sometimes we get these natural products like like uh, mycorrhizal fungi that are really sensitive to that. We've seen good response uh, out of things like water, right, that is going to treat that water, neutralize that pH, maybe get it just slightly acidic, and then also take care of all the hard water or metals that are in the water. And once they're neutralized, we get a lot better survival out of the product. Uh, with mycorrhizal fungi, we have seen good gains. It, it has been something that we've been looking at, but it's been a little bit inconsistent. And like I say, some of the water quality things uh, we found to be one of the culprits. Uh, but yeah, talk to uh, talk to your Valent rep or talk to your, your local retailer in your area about Endoprime from Valent. That would be the product. If you said, hey, I need a mycorrhizal product, that would be the one that I'd recommend. Hey, thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. Uh, I, I guess we've got just a couple minutes left and, and a few last comments on the pop-up or infrared fertilizer topic. Uh, I tried to put Tim Duker down the spot just a little bit on soybeans because we, we do get questions. And this year, I know there are some guys that have already said, hey, I'm switching to soybeans. I already had some starter fertilizer bought. Can I use it on my soybeans? Uh, in most cases, you can, but you got to be really careful. Soybeans are so much more sensitive to, to salt from fertilizer than what corn is. So I would recommend on soybeans, don't put it in furrow, put it over in a two by two or uh, like, like our friend uh, Russell down at Louisiana State was saying, they're dribbling it on top. And that way, at least they've got a cushion of soil be before you're going to hit that for or before the fertilizer is going to hit that root or that seed. Do something to put some soil in between the seed and the fertilizer, and it just opens up your window of safety so much. Uh, I would strongly recommend that. Now, in terms of corn, can you go in furrow? Yes. But what we're seeing is we're seeing kind of a movement of guys using a little less rate in furrow. We're seeing more guys getting set up with two by two and uh, or, or even strip till and, and putting it really close to where that root system is going to be. But but not exactly right on the seed. It all depends on how much you want to put out there for fertilizer. If you've got a broadcast fertilizer program that's meeting most of your needs and you're just looking for a little boost to get out of the ground, hey, pop-up or in-furrow can be great. We found on our farm we used to use a lot of 5-gallon rates in-furrow, but... The problem with five gallons in furrow is that that dribble that's going down the furrow wasn't even. And we were getting a lot more concentration on some seeds compared to others. So we'd recommend putting more volume through that furrow if you can. If you can do 10 gallons, I know a lot of guys don't want to do that. It's a lot more filling, but you're going to get it spread more evenly through that furrow. Um, the other thing that we've done is gone to lower rates of fertilizer and then just blending it with water to get it spread out a little bit more through the furrow. We're often using a gallon or two in furrow just to get that early jump before the, the plant gets to our strip-till band where it's going to have a lot more fertility available to it. So there's a lot of fine-tuning here as to how you want to do things, and, and much of it depends on what you're set up with for equipment. But pop-up or in-furrow fertilizer is certainly worth taking a look at, and I do agree one thing Tim had said as well. 
even if we didn't see more yield, which we often do, but even if we didn't see more yield, we often see drier corn at harvest. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.